I've said for years that it used to be men of God were measured by, by prayer, power, and passion. But nowadays they're measured by lights, camera, and action. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. And so this week, I, I want to continue this series, and, and I want you to listen to me real quick. I believe this is one of the most important series that I've ever preached to this church. And our church is seven years old this year, and uh, God has done great things over the years, and, and uh, just really, really been in a wonderful time of seeing people's lives grow. Because I'm one of those strange pastors. I want the church to grow. I want people to come. But the reality is I want you to grow. I don't want just the church. I don't want to fill just the pews or the chairs or whatever you want to call them. I have this, I have this passion in my heart. I believe, and we preach in this church, a pre-tribulation rapture, which tells us that with all the stuff happening in the world, if you want to know what's going on, read the Bible. Forget the newspaper. Read the Bible. I had somebody ask me this morning, Pastor, when is the next time you're doing an end time series? I'm doing it very shortly, okay? And the reason I'm doing it very shortly is today is an ominous day in world history. In Paris, uh, it, it happened, I would imagine, a few hours ago because it's already uh, 10 hours later in Paris, so... It happened sometime during that day, uh, today in Paris. Seventy nations have come together to determine the fate of Israel. The Word of God is very plain. Joel is very explicit. In Joel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he said, I'm going to judge every single person that, that divides my country. You see, Israel doesn't belong to the Jews. Israel belongs to Christ. God is the one that gave that country, and the reality is Israel does not occupy the amount of country God gave them. But all Israel is trying to do is live in peace, okay? Because Israel is more secular than spiritual today. They don't believe that Christ is the Messiah, majority of them. There's, there's many Jews that do. But Israel as a whole is more of a secular society, and all they want to do is live in peace. And so as you read through the Scriptures you actually can see all the things they're doing. And the Bible says that one day, and I believe that one day very soon, they are going to sign a covenant. And the Bible calls it with hell and destruction. Okay? And God says you can sign all the papers you want to. It still belongs to me. 
But in that, God is very closely preparing judgment. And I'm not going to get into this today. <laughs> Maybe I... Isaiah 17, if you've been watching the news, you watch about the annihilation of Damascus. Damascus is the oldest continual city in the history of earth. It is the oldest city that has never been uninhabited. Well, folks, Damascus is getting pretty close to being uninhabited. Okay? Now, what's it mean when a a, a city becomes uninhabited? Now, this... You know, let me backtrack. That fulfills prophecy in Isaiah 17. It says that before the Lord's return, or before or right after the Lord's return, Damascus will be uninhabitable. What that means is there is going to be, there is going to be some kind of gas released, some kind of ga- chemical warfare that's going to release. Because when chemical warfare happens, about, about three feet, four feet off the ground, you can't breathe anymore. Okay, But the Bible says the only thing that will inhabit Damascus are the safe traps and the goats and the animals and the different things. All the things that are lesser than a couple feet tall, they'll be fine. But no human can live there. And that's what the Bible talks about. And so today in Paris, 70 nations are coming together to decide the fate of Israel. You say, well, pastor, I read that. They're, only, they're deciding about the two-state solution. Ladies and gentlemen, Palestine and the Muslims get into Israel's borders. It will be the annihilation of Israel. And God is not going to allow that to happen. Okay? You say, well, pastor, what's going to happen? I believe the Psalm 83 war is just right around the corner. Israel, if you follow Netanyahu, boy, I tell you what, I don't know why I'm doing this today, but if you follow this, if you follow this stuff like I follow this stuff, Netanyahu has stood up and said, you guys ain't telling us what we can and can't do. And he is standing up and saying, okay, you want to rumble? Come on. And this is where the Psalm 83 war, because the Bible says that Israel itself, God will stand back and say, okay, kids, go take care of it. And they will. They will take care of it. They, they won't obliterate, but they will, they will definitely send them running like puppies with the tails between their legs. They are going to fight the ten-nation coalition that has built up right now to come against Israel. That's the Psalm 83 war. At the end of the Psalm 83 war, I believe somewhere after that is where the peace treaty is going to be signed. Why? Israel wants peace. That's all they want. They want to live. And the peace treaty in Daniel 9, 27, at the signing of it, somewhere there quickly is where the rapture happens. Yeah! I don't have a clue what this means. I can do it later. Okay. Oh, okay. It's okay, good. Thank you. Let's go to our notes. Second Corinthians. The title of this sermon is very, very deliberate. Purpose isn't purpose without practice. I want to talk to you and I as Christians. I was talking to somebody this morning, and, and they were talking about how, how they, they've seen Christian operations in different parts of the world. They've seen missions operations. They've seen different things around the world. And, and I, too, have seen 
multiple things that are one thing in name, but another thing in practice. God has called you and I to a purpose. I read an interesting story that I wanted to include in this message today. It was about the London Transit Authority. It, it, it's, the, it's basically the, uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, bus system of London. They call it the, the LTA, the London Transit Authority. And, and years and years ago, it's been many, many years ago that this happened, but the, they received a lot of complaints about people that were standing at the bus stops and the buses were just driving past them. They wouldn't stop to pick them up. Well, the, the transit authority got all the complaints, and they got literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of complaints. And so they figured, well, how are we going to address this? We can't call people, so we'll address it in the local newspaper, The Sun. And uh, so they, they decided, it's interesting, The Sun over there is the same newspaper name over here, but uh, different newspapers, okay? So they did it, took, it a, took it a big old ad in the newspaper, which has literally become the infamous a uh, declaration of all transit departments in the nation and around the world, actually. The explanation in the newspaper was read simply like this. It is impossible for us to maintain our schedule if we are always having to stop and pick up passengers. Clearly, someone has forgotten their purpose. The transit authority said we can't keep our schedule if we always have to stop and pick up people. It is said that some 5,000 new companies are started each year right here in the country, in America. Of those 5,000, in about two years, there's about 2,000 that remain. And within a few short years, about five years, after the starting of these 5,000 companies, there literally remains only a couple hundred companies. Well, the reason wasn't clear at first, but then the corporate consultants all got together and they studied this, this, this uh, trend. They studied why does this happen. And they came together and they, 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 uh, they interviewed and they went through and talked to every one of these companies and they found that the main issue of all the failed companies was simple. Everyone that failed lacked a clear purpose. Now I want to take you to the heart of this message. And that's you and me. And I want you to listen. Because this is probably one of the, one of the most straightforward messages I've ever preached on this subject, and I want you to hear it. As Christians, we are always struggling with our purpose, trying to understand. So how do we begin to understand our main purpose? I ask that question, I start that way, because just like in business, it is with Christians and it is with the churches. If we forget our purpose we will soon become unproductive in everything we do, all of life. I want you to hear me. I told you this, this series at the beginning of this year will transform your life, and this will be the most successful life you'll ever have. This year will be the most successful year you'll ever have if you'll listen to what these simple messages are proclaiming. If we forget our purpose... I don't care what you are attached to, 
you will literally become unproductive in every single area of your life. Many, many years ago, a man wrote a book, a great book that I read, and, and in the book he had this little catchphrase, and it was really a cute catchphrase, and I, I've heard it, it's been used multiple bits of times, and I left it in your message, in your notes, and that catchphrase is literally, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Can you say that with me? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I left it in your notes so you didn't have to memorize it. You can go down and think about it. The main thing is, say it with me again, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. You know what a Christian's main thing is? It is to keep Christ first in every single area of your life. Do you know the church's main thing is just an outgrowth of what the Christian's main thing is, and that is to reach the lost at any cost at, before anything else you do. Jesus, the last statement that he made before he left the earth, he gave instructions to the church. He gave instructions to the disciples who were the progenitors, the beginning of the church that we know today. And he left earth. It was in the area of Bethany on the city of the Mount of Olives in that area they believe that he actually ascended because that's what the Bible outlines. And he said these words in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and it's in your notes. He says, I've been given all authority on heaven, in heaven, and on earth. Jesus said, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And he said, I'm going to tell you your purpose. Now, I want you to listen to me. If it's not underlined, if it's not circled, if it doesn't have asterisks around it, you need to do it right now. Go into all the world and make disciples. He said, that is your purpose. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And then I want you to underline this next line in your notes. Then teach these new disciples. And I want you to put a circle around this next phrase. To obey all the commands I've given you. What was the command he just gave them? Go into all the world and make disciples. The church, and when I say the church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. Look at somebody and say, I am the church. That's what the word church came from, the Greek word ecclesia, which means the called out ones. Though Jesus said many have, have been called, but few have chosen. Okay? He said, I called you, and everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. He said, you are the church. Are you with me today? And we exist for one purpose. What is that purpose? It's on the screen. Read it with me. To reach the lost and bring glory to God. Oh, you thought you were in church for me to give you some kind of success rally. To tell you how to be successful, how to make money, how to prosper, how to be all just, you know, all this stuff. No. You're in church for me to build you up that you can go out there that you can build them up. That's why we exist. That's why the church 
You say, well, pastor, I'm not very good evangelist. That's your purpose. And until you grab a hold of the understanding that my purpose is to reach the lost and bring glory to God, there is nothing you'll ever do in this life that will ever be fully successful. Why? Because when you do it the other way, it becomes about you and not about him or them. Am I making any sense today? I know it is. I'm just bringing it out. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 22. One, we are starting a series. Actually, we started last Tuesday, right, honey? The Eternity Series. And it's going to continue on this Tuesday. Miss Eula is going to be teaching it. Stand up there, Miss Eula, and wave at everybody. She's got the books. Okay? Now, let me tell you something. The books cost us, after shipping and everything, $9.85. And we're charging you 10 bucks. Oh, we're ripping you with 15 cents. Smile at me. Go ahead. Let me see some, gum, some teeth, gums, whatever you have. Doesn't matter. Okay? We're just trying to cover the books so we can buy more books. Okay? But this, this is going to be an incredible, incredible journey that we're going to be on. In our text, I bring that up because our text starts out with these words. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. If you leave that right by itself without going back into context, then you kind of say, what, what, what fearful responsibility? Well, verses 9 and 10 talks about judgment day is coming. Paul is saying, you know why people need to be told about Jesus? Because it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And everyone is going to stand before God. You're either going to be standing before God as judge or God as Savior. Everyone stands before. One's called the, the great white throne judgment and one's called the Bema seat or the seat of Christ judgment. Pastor, all of us, this series will answer a lot of those questions. What we'll teach on in the next few weeks will answer lots of those questions. Every single man, woman, child, everyone is going to stand in judgment. And that's what this passage talks about. And Paul is helping us to understand something that I want us to understand this morning. So look very attentively to the words as I try to break it down. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. What is the fearful part? That if we don't tell them, they're going to hell. Well, can't they find out another way? The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I'm quoting Romans, Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it says, how will they hear except someone tells them? In another place, we read about a man by the name of Lazarus and another man that's just simply known as the rich man. The Bible says Lazarus died and he was carried into Abraham's bosom. The rich man died and he lifted up his eyes in hell. What is that telling us? In several places in the Bible, the Bible tells us you die, you immediately go to heaven or to hell. Let me put a little a little uh, advertisement in here. When I teach this series on eternity, I'm going to be speaking one day on heaven 
and two days on hell. The church doesn't speak about hell enough. Well, that's not what I come to church for. Oh, I'm sorry. We have to understand, folks, Jesus talked about hell a lot. But he also gave us to understand it was not created for us. It was created for the devil and his angels. But man that rejects Christ is going there. God didn't send him. We bought our own ticket when we chose to reject Christ. The rich man and Lazarus, he rich man opened up his eyes. He was in hell. Lazarus was carried in Abraham's bosom. The whole discord, and I'll get it in a synoptical version. The Bible says the rich man looked and saw Lazarus across the way, and he called his father Abraham. Now, that's an interesting thing. Why? Because that tells us that the rich man was a Jew, and he understood the Messiah. He understood the whole concept of what it was. He said, Father, Abraham, if you would send Lazarus back from the dead then he, that my brothers would believe I don't want them to come to this awful place. He is in hell. I don't want them to come to that awful place. So if a person comes back from the dead and tells them they would repent, and you know what, the, the, you know what Abraham responded? He said, they have the prophets and Moses. They won't believe that. They won't believe even if somebody's raised from the dead. You know what, you know what Abraham was saying? They have God's word. If they won't believe it, it don't matter how many people rise from the dead. Speaking prophetically of Jesus rising from the dead. Are you with me today? But how are they going to hear unless we tell them? Yes. Today is one of those days to get a little uncomfortable. Look what Paul said. Our fearful responsibility to the Lord. Because of that, look what he says, we work hard to persuade others. God knows, it goes on to say, that we are sincere, and I hope you know this also. We are, are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can also tell those, excuse me, so that you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. Ladies and gentlemen, in today's world, it seems like that, that, that the ministers are more bragging about their spectacular, well, we're doing this and we're doing that and we're doing the other thing. Are you reaching the lost? Are souls getting saved? Christ merely, oh, excuse me, I, I, I stepped away here. Let me go back one verse. So we've stopped evaluating people from a human point of view. Do you know that we hang around people we like to hang around with? Well, who are we supposed to hang around with? Well, those people. But you're also supposed to hang around the people that you don't like to hang around with too. Yeah, but they're, they're a bunch of sinners. They're a bunch of this. They're a bunch of that. They're a bunch of the exact thing that Jesus died for. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to shock anybody, but you weren't always a nice person. You weren't always the easiest person to get along with, were you? Something happened. It's called Jesus. He said, at one time we looked at Jesus from a human point of view, but we look at him differently now also. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old, per- the old person is gone. The new life has begun. All of this is a gift 
from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and God has given us the task of reconciling everyone to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Everyone that comes to Christ, no longer are their sins counted against him. And he gave a wonderful message of reconciliation. That's the message we have. So we are Christ's ambassadors. What does that mean? He's given us the ministry of reconciliation to bring all people to himself. God is making a special appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Jesus, who never sinned, to be an offering for sin so that we can be made right with God through Christ. Please hear me today. This message should challenge, inspire, and motivate every single person that calls themselves a Christian. What I'm going to do in the next 15 minutes or so is I am going to try my very best to break down what made Paul so much different. And if you and I will just grab a hold of these thoughts, it will challenge and literally change our life. There are some Christians today that are just basically looked at as crazy peddlers of the gospel. Paul was looked at as a crazy peddler of the gospel, but he knew his purpose. He said, my purpose is to persuade others. As I shared earlier, lack of true motive, change that word motive for purpose, lack of true purpose makes life dreary and unworthy. Literally breaking that down, you have no purpose, you have no reason. Oh, you make lots of money. How many people know people have lots of money and they still are trying to get more money? I remember uh, John D. Rockefeller used to be the richest man in the world. Many, many years ago, he was asked a question that was kind of profound in one way, but astounding in another. And the question was asked, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money does does it take to make somebody happy? Now remember, he was the richest man in the world. How much money does it make, does it take to make someone happy? You know what his response was? A little bit more than I have. See, money doesn't buy happiness. I know some of you are sitting out there saying, well, I'd sure like to try. The truth this morning is no purpose. We have no reason to produce. Now, if you've read your Bible, I think we could all attest that Paul's life was anything but dreary and unworthy. Why? Because Paul understood why he was saved. He understood the purpose of his life. And because of this, he was highly motivated to persuade as many as possible. That word persuade means literally to convince or to influence. Paul knew his whole life was for the purpose of influencing everyone he came into contact with for the cause of Christ. There's two things that you'll find in this passage that literally motivated Paul's life in Christ. The first thing was Paul knew he had a great responsibility to persuade as many as possible to to believe. Paul knew. He was consumed with this responsibility. Because why? He knew what 1 Corinthians 9 9 and 10 said. 
He knew there was a judgment day that everyone's going to have to come. He was highly motivated. Let me read it to you in 2 Corinthians 5, 11. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. Why? Because we know there is a gift that God wants to give. He wants to bring everybody back to himself through Christ, and he wants us, he's given us, everyone that names the name of Jesus, the ministry of reconciliation. Why? He knew there's judgment coming. He knew there was judgment coming. And he wanted to get as many saved as he possibly could. In 1877, there was an evangelist by the name of A.G. Upton, and he was leading a meeting in which one of the messages he preached was titled, Stars for Your Crown. And in the message, he told the story of a man, a true story of a man who was saved and a month, literally a month after his conversion, he was fatally injured in an accident. He lived for a short time before he died, and there was a Christian friend that would come to his bedside daily and asked him, are you afraid to die? And listen to what the man's incredible response was. He said, I'm not afraid to die. But he said, I'm going to go to God and I've never led anybody to Christ. I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to go empty-handed. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Daniel that those that lead others to Christ will shine like the stars in the heavens forever. Do you know that there is more joy in heaven over one who is saved than over 99 that don't need salvation? Paul said, I understand this great responsibility. But then he said, the second thing is that I understand the love of Christ that compels me and motivates me. It wasn't his love for Christ. It was Christ's love for him. Listen to this. For God so loved the world that he gave. It was God's love for Paul that sent Jesus into the world. Paul was a wretched dude. He was a messed up guy. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 15, we just read it a minute ago. He said, if what I'm doing seems crazy, praise the Lord. I've had people over the years, and I've heard this somewhere before, but I've actually had people over the years call me a fool. Oh, you're just a fool, aren't you? I said, well, I'm a fool for Christ. Whose fool are you? And you see, that's the bottom line. Is yeah, it might be crazy. I, I show up in a in a shopping center. I might be in line at Walmart. Telling somebody about Jesus. I remember I can't tell you how many times that I have come to a cash register and I saw somebody that seemed like they were down. I saw somebody that seemed like they were hurting. I saw somebody that seemed like they were they were had a, a sick or whatever the case is. And I just stopped there in the line and said, Can I pray for you? And they so graciously would say, Oh, I would love you too. Oh, they don't know what that means. Father in Jesus' name. I'd reach across the counter and start praying for them. 
The Bible says, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So I got the whole line at Walmart looking at me. Is this guy crazy? Oh, you've seen nothing yet. I remember David when he came in after getting the ark, after becoming king of Israel, and he comes in and his wife, Michael, is up on the altar and she is despising Michael, or despising David. And she, she, said, she said something to him to the fact, what you did today was vile. And you know what David responded? I'll be yet more vile for my God. See, if I'm going to be called crazy for Jesus, come on with the craziness. Paul said, it's Christ's love for me. I know how much Jesus loves me. I know what he paid on Calvary for me. And that is what motivates me. His love for me persuades me to tell others about the Jesus I believe in. Can somebody say amen? The second thing that I want to look at quickly this morning is as Christians, now that we know our purpose, how do we accomplish it? (coughs) I'm going to give you five very simple things. Five very simple things that I believe were the key to Paul's great evangelistic abilities, but also to yours and mine. Paul, number one, was transparent. Paul was transparent. What do I mean? I left it in your notes, folks. Paul, when he showed up, everybody knew he was there for one purpose, their souls. Can I tell you, when I go someplace to preach, I'm there for one reason. I want a life changed. I want somebody's soul changed. I want somebody's eternity changed. And you see, Paul, there was no, there was no ulterior motives. There was no preconceived notion of any other thing. When Paul showed up, they knew why he was there. His intention was to evangelize. Well, pastor, I can't do that on my job. Why? I'm going to teach you how to evangelize without saying a word. Paul's in turn, he was transparent. Look back at our text. He said, I urgently work with everyone that I meet to get them ready to face God. Paul said, all of us are going to face God. It's, stop, it's time to stop pity pattern around. Everyone is going to face God. Are they ready? Are you ready? You just come to church, you know, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. Or do you come to church because you realize how much he did for us? Pastor, don't don't make me feel bad. Get over it. Because if this makes you feel bad, listen to me, then there's a problem with you in Christ. There is no problem with me. Then why? You know, how many ever been to, uh, how many ever been to, uh, where the heck have we been? LaFondas. How many ever been to LaFondas? How many ever saw Pastor Philemon and I's picture on the tables? How many saw our little things on the tables? We've gotten more calls from LaFonda. But there's one thing that I put on, on, on the table in LaFonda. Why do we expect God to come to our house when we won't go to his? Why do I? You know, you know how many people, the only time I hear from them is when they're having troubles? 
Well, why aren't you in church? Well, you know my husband. You know my wife. You know my job. You know, yeah, I know. You got excuses coming out your ears. But why? Do we not understand what he did for us? Therefore, he wants to work through us to get to them. Look at Acts chapter 26. For all of those that are concerned about who they can witness to, Paul is standing before the highest person in the land. His name was King Agrippa. In Acts 26, look at this in your notes. He's preaching at him. He's evangelizing him. And then he says, King Agrippa, I know you're familiar with these things. None of this stuff was done in the dark. None of this stuff was done in the corner. And then King Agrippa said these words because he knew he was being evangelized. He said these words, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? See, Agrippa knew why Paul was there. Do you think in such a short time? And if you read the text, Paul didn't apologize a wink for evangelizing him. His response was, O king, short or long, I pray that God will not only reach you, but everyone that's listening to me today, I want them to become a Christian. You see, Paul was very transparent. He knew who he was and what he was, and his intention was to lead the king and anyone else he could to Christ. Now, I'm going to say something, and it could step on a toe or two. Too many Christians disguise their true purpose. And because of this, no one knows who they really are or what they really believe. Why? Because no one knows where they really stand. They're a Christian in name only. But if you ever watched their life, you could never find it. A mother wrote to Reader's Digest one day, and she said, our daughter is an Army sergeant stationed at Fort Stewart, Georgia, and called us during an intensive leadership course requiring her to spend six weeks in the forest under sparse conditions. And she wrote to Reader's Digest the conversation she had with their daughter, and the conversation went like this, Mom, I've met someone here that I'd like to get to know better. But we aren't allowed to wear makeup, so he has no idea what I really look like. (laughs) Do they know you're a Christian? Do they? Or do you got to put something on? See, coming to church is easy to be a Christian. Praise the Lord, brother. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. Isn't God so good? But you walk out that door and, oh, they see you leaving victorious life. You go to that church? Well, I was just with family today. You know, my wife wanted me to come. I got to please my kids sometimes, you know. Oh, they're, they're having a fundraiser, and I had to put my $2 in there to help raise the money. Do you have to put something on to be a Christian, or are you just a Christian? 
Can I tell you one of the reasons that we don't lead people to Christ? is because we have no inner beauty that shows an outward expression. Paul's simply saying, what you see is what you get. He said, I'm honest about my weaknesses. I have people say, oh, Pastor, you know, I don't put a bumper sticker on my car. How many don't have bumper stickers on their car? Never mind, don't raise your hand. Victorious life, I don't put one on the car because I don't drive like a Christian. How's a Christian drive? Folks, do I do the speed limit every day? Ask my wife. Do I do everything right? Do I cut people off from time to time? Ask my wife. You don't have to be a Christian to have a Christian sticker on your car. You just have to act like a Christian when you do something you shouldn't ought to do. So does that mean you should be able to do things you shouldn't ought to do? No, but we are human. We make mistakes. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Paul is saying, I am what I am. And except for the grace of God, I would be lost. He said, my weaknesses, this is what they are. My strengths, this is what they are. But his relationship with God was the true reality of his life. Can somebody say amen? The second thing, real quick, is Paul was passionate to represent the truth. Paul was passionate to represent the truth. Paul was passionate about his relationship with Christ. See, Paul motivated everyone through his enthusiastic life. Enthusiasm, ladies and gentlemen, is necessary if you're going to live a Christian life. You should be excited about the fact well, Pastor, what is there to be excited about? Oh, I don't know. You're not going to hell for one. That could be a little exciting. You know, when, I, when I'm having the opportunity to really let my Christianity shine, I got lots of things to be excited about. I, I asked Bob to do this. I, I posted on Facebook. Were you able to do that, Bob? I posted on Facebook a few weeks ago. Something, because I saw that, and I, and I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. And, and look what I posted up there. Uh, it, it was kind of an interesting thing. Warning, if you don't like hearing about Jesus Christ, you might want to avoid me. I have a tendency to live, breathe, and proclaim the love of God. I have a tendency to live, breathe, and proclaim and I put a little, a little caption in there, and I, I didn't write it down up here, but it was on the Facebook page, and you can go look at it if you want to. But I put it on there, folks. I have an obligation. I have a responsibility. According to God's Word, I have a mandate to declare Christ and to live a Christian life. Paul was passionate. Another word for passion is enthusiasm. Let me give you the breakdown I left in your notes. You know what enthusiasm comes from? It comes from two words in the, uh, in the, uh, uh, in the uh, uh, English language, or the Latin language, rather. And those two words are entheos. That's where the word enthusiasm comes from. And the word en, E-N, literally means in, like I'm in something. And theos means God's possession. So if you are enthusiastic, you are literally Possessed by God. God is in me. Every great, Ralph Ralph Waldo Emerson said, every great movement in the annals of world history is simply the triumph 
of, of enthusiasm. Arnold Tober said, apathy can only be overcome by enthusiasm. And enthusiasm can only be aroused by an ideal which takes the imagination by storm. You say, oh, pastor, what do I have that takes my imagination by form? The fact that God stepped out of eternity into time just for you. Is that not enough to take your imagination by storm? You see, folks, the problem or the contrary of purpose is apathy and indifference. The very thing Jesus called lukewarm in Revelation 3. Baz Havner, a great Christian author from many years ago, said, too much of our orthodoxy is correct and sound, but like words without a tune, it does not glow and burn. It does not stir the heart. Literally, it has lost its hallelujah. Has life, has society, has the, the people you hang around with or the things you do behind closed doors, have they robbed the hallelujah out of your life? I remember many years ago, I, I was actually more enthusiastic than I am now. But I had started playing with the things of the world, and I stepped away from God before I was pastoring. And when I showed up around people, I would always praise the Lord, how you doing, Jesus love, blah. I was just excited about the things of God. But when I had stepped away from God, I didn't say a word about him. You know Why? I'd lost my hallelujah. Have you? Oh, no, I'd never do that. That's what I said right before I did. Folks, we, like Paul, have this obligation to be enthusiastic about this thing that we believe. Paul, in Acts 26, he's talking to Agrippa, and Festus, his chief commander, afterwards said, Paul, you're crazy. Get a grip on yourself and, and, and get a grip on, on life in the real world. Paul said, Festus, I'm not crazy. I know what I've believed. I'm as sane as I could possibly be. You see, we have an obligation to warn and to persuade but the only way it's going to work is you've got to be enthusiastic. they got to see that you believe what you really believe. Can somebody say amen? The third thing, real quick, is Paul had conviction. Paul had conviction. He said, since we believe Christ died, we must also die to this old life. He said, we have to have an unwavering stand in our faith that all sinners... That we are all sinners, that there is only one way to be saved, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Somebody has once said that a man with conviction is worth 99 that only have opinions. Can I tell you that in today's society, over 85% of Americans believe that they're going to go to heaven when they die? 85 that's almost 9 out of 10 of the people you know believe that they're going to go to heaven before they die or when they die. Why? Because we now have a multicultural society that believes there are many roads that leads to heaven. 
Some sit back and, and they may not accept our message. What is our message? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to heaven except through him. Can you say amen? You see, some may not accept our message, but it's very important that we communicate this message accurately. Why? We are ambassadors, not negotiators. We deliver the good news. We don't edit it. In 2002, Oprah Winfrey, I don't know whether you like Oprah or not, but Oprah Winfrey was once interviewed about heaven. And she made this statement in the May 2002 edition of, of, uh, of Christian, Christianity Today magazine. Listen to what she said. One of the biggest mistakes that we, she included herself, as Christians make is that we believe there is only one way. I believe there are diverse paths to God. She just opened her mouth and showed how messed up she really was. See, Paul believed what Jesus declared. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The next thing that Paul was was he was perceptive about people. What am I, what am I saying all this stuff for, folks? What am I proclaiming and declaring all of this stuff? Paul was transparent. Paul knew what he was there for. Paul was passionate about representing the truth, and Paul had a conviction that governed his life. Well, Paul realized that we are all messed up in need of a Savior. He was perceptive. He knew that Jesus wanted to give new life, and so he no longer looked at people the way they were. He began to look at people the way they could be. You see, it was only Jesus that could turn a vacillating Peter into a rock-like leader of the early church. It was only somebody like Jesus that could turn a persecutor Paul into a preacher Paul or an intellectual Nicodemus into a humbly born-again child of God. It was only somebody like Jesus who could take a demon-possessed woman like Mary Magdalene and cause her to be the very first one that would recognize and see a resurrected Jesus. It was only the perception, it was only the perspective of a changed heart and life that could see a tax collector named Zacchaeus and have Jesus, his host, invite him to dinner and watch him to become extraordinarily generous. It was only somebody that has the perspective and the perception of people that could see a woman at a well who had had five husbands before the one she was currently shacked up with and realize she's going to be the most important evangelist in all of Samaria. See, as a Christian, you look at people differently. You look at people on the street and you say, that's a potential child of God. Pharisees in the days of Jesus only saw what people were. Jesus saw what they could be. The last thing quickly this morning is Paul had an urgency. He said, I know what's coming, and I need to get people saved. Folks, purpose isn't purpose without practice. If you call yourself a Christian, the first thing you do is live like one. You don't look for reasons that you, I can do this, I can do, you know, Paul, 
Paul said, you know, all things are legal, but not all things, or all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. They're not necessary. He said, we do what we do for the sake of the other person around us too. That doesn't put us in bondage. That realizes that Jesus did what he did for your sake and mine. Paul had an urgency. Let me ask you a question. Imagine that you had a friend, a close friend, that was $50,000 in debt. He was about to lose everything because of his poor decisions and, and, and bad habits. But you knew your friend had truly repented, and you saw it noticeably in his life. Now imagine that you also have another very close friend who is very wealthy, and you talk to him about the plight of your other friend, and he knew about the plight, and he came to you and said, I tell you what, I believe in your friend, I believe in you, and I want to help him. Here's a check for $100,000, $50,000 to pay his bills off, and $50,000 to start a new life. Would you deliver the check for me? If you were friends with this person, and you were really passionate about this person, and enthusiastic, you would leave in a heartbeat to take that check to him, to help him, to, to do what you needed to do immediately with Godspeed, wouldn't you? Ladies and gentlemen, people are under a huge debt of sin, and Satan is waiting in the wings ready to collect that debt, and that debt is going to be collected at a thing called death. But God offered to pay the debt in full and give the man, the woman, the ability to start a brand new life. Folks, our purpose must be practiced. And I tell you, majority of the reason it's not is because we're not even living like a Christian. Pastor, this is hard preaching. Who can hear it? I hope you can. How can we tell them to want what we want when we don't even want what we want? Practice. Our purpose is a purpose. Without practice. It's a free gift. God gave it to everybody. God gave it to everybody. And you're living it. He gave it to you. And you know it. Just like that guy in debt. He can't repay his debt. You couldn't either. How many are grateful for his love that paid that debt that I couldn't pay? As yesterday, the worship team comes, I want to share a true story about one of the most successful car companies in the world. The car company is Mercedes-Benz. Years and years ago, some 20-plus years ago, they put a television commercial out showing Mercedes-Benz car colliding with a wall. The commercial demonstrated the energy-absorbing car body all Mercedes-Benz vehicles had. The company spokesman was asked, why did the company not patent the car body design to prevent it being stolen and copied by other automobile companies? You know what the car company spokesman said? Because there are some things in life that are too important not to share. 
They never patented it. Why? They wanted every car company to build car crash-absorbing bodies so more lives will be saved. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the only hope for mankind. And it's too important not to share because Judgment Day is coming. Whether you want to hear that in church, in this church or any other, it is coming. Are you living like you believe it? If you are, you have the only hope that someone else could ever get. How will they hear unless we tell them? In your notes, I just gave you five very simple things. Can I tell you something? When I was working, when we first started this church, I was working at Chase Bank. For about the first two years, we started this church, year and a half. Uh, uh, I left it about a year and a half after we started this church. Just got things too much going on. Did you know that those people at Chase Bank knew why I was there? The manager brought me into the office one day because somebody complained that I was praying at my desk. And I sat with my manager. And she said, well, you can't do that. And I said, well, I better give you my notice now. I said, I'm the most successful banker you've ever had because I pray at my desk. And those people coming into this building, their entire lives are in those bank accounts. What the heck better could I do for them than pray for them? And she said, okay, well, just don't let me know. (laughs) And I told her, I didn't. Somebody else did. And you know what? I didn't stop. I didn't change until I quit. And that was one of their, and I don't say that to pat myself on the back. That was not their happy day. Because they saw a guy that really believed what he said he believed. And didn't care what anybody else thought. Folks, on your job, they hope what you have is real. But if every time you open your mouth, you got this flur of words that nobody should hear. Oh, you know, Pastor, that's just one of my weaknesses. Do something about it. Do something. Oh, you know, Pastor, you know, everybody, that's right. People make mistakes. They don't do it all the time. A mistake means something that is not all the time. You say, Pastor, I, you know, I've just been, I've been, I've been talking this way, you know, for, for all my life. I think you got new life, didn't you? Isn't it a good way to start? Well, see, Pastor, that's just too hard. Is it really? Well, you know, I, Pastor, I got, you know, I, I, I look at these pictures, and I, I watch this computer stuff, and, you know, I, everybody does it. I don't. Yeah, but you're a pastor. You got more anointing. I got the same problems you have. I just got my responsibility. When Pastor Ray and I stand before God, we're going to be held accountable for every single sermon, every single thing. The Bible says a teacher receives the greater judgment. That's why I have to preach what I preach. That's why I got to do what I do. Because some of you are going to get to heaven only because you believed that that book was real because that preacher wouldn't veer away from it. 
purpose without practice isn't purpose. If it isn't radiating from your life, I encourage you to get along with God. We're going to sing a song, and I'm not even going to have an altar call. I think the Word's done enough. But I'm going to ask you today. You want to be successful? Stop looking at your job. Stop looking at your school. Stop looking at your career. Stop looking at all this stuff and start looking to where your eyes are supposed to be, and that's Christ. You say, well, I can have both. Yes, you can. But generally, if you start living in the world and living in Christ, the world will win because it will make you make a decision. Who are you going to serve? I talked about that two weeks ago. First things first. You can't serve God and the world system. Matter of fact, he said, if you love the world, you don't love me. If that thing becomes the focus and the drive, and I don't go to church because of it, I don't take care of my family because of it, I don't take care of my children because of it, I don't do all these different things, I don't live for God because this is what this is challenging me for, you're on a banana peel to hell. Well, you can't judge me. I'm not. The Word of God did. Are you okay out there? Father, thank you. Thank you. God, I, God, I preach this. God, I myself, I'm just joining in Paul's camp. I'm the chief of sinners. Because I know I fall short. I know I mess up. But God, my weaknesses are what I run to you about. And my strengths are what I give glory to you about. And my victories are only because you are the hope in me. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.